tonight on Huckabee. Former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Michael Phillips escapes the school to prison pipeline. The acrobatics of positive impact movement. And country music star Deborah Allen. That's Trey Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. Welcome, everybody. We've got a great and enthusiastic audience here. We're going to have a wonderful show. Thank you for joining us. Now, we hear the word racism a lot, but racism is a symptom, not a source. It's the effect. It's not the cause. It is the manifestation of evil, but it is not the root of evil. We hear about racism every day as if it is the reason for all conflicts in our country. But folks, America doesn't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. And racism is based on a satanic lie of the real essence of all sin, which is pride. The notion that some people think they're just better than others. And when one thinks he or she is better, then that person believes they shouldn't have to be held to the same standards. Political division is also fueled by pride. Those who believe that their ideas and their policies and the people they support are just better. The result is that different standards are applied. The reason that Rosa Parks was told to sit in the back of the bus was that the arrogant pride of some people who didn't think she was as good as they were. The reason that a teenager named Clarence Henderson risked his life to sit at the lunch counter at a Woolworth in North Carolina was because some people didn't think he deserved to be seated at the same lunch counter because they didn't think he was as good as they were. The reason that nine young high school students had to be escorted by the National Guard and the U.S. Army to Little Rock Central High School in 1957 was due to some in the community not believing that those kids were as smart and as capable as their kids were. All of those things were racist, sure. They were all evil and sinful. But all were because of the real sin of pride. It showed itself as racism, but it was rooted in pride. Whenever there's a double standard, it's the same root sin as is racism. I mean, if the governor of California orders the citizens there to wear a mask in public, but he takes his mask off at a football game, it's his pride in thinking that He's just better than you. If members of Congress demand to get the transcript of a phone call between President Trump and the president of Ukraine, and they actually impeach the president because of what was said in the call, but then those very same members of Congress don't demand public disclosure of a phone call between President Biden and the president of Ukraine this past week. Well, why? It's because they just believe their side is better than your side. If a podcast host like Joe Rogan gets crucified for allowing highly competent scientists to say that lockdowns and masks don't really work, 
And then he gets called out for spewing medical misinformation. Even after the CDC releases a report that actually says the same thing Joe Rogan did. It's not misinformation that people are going crazy over. They just think the people they listen to are better than the people that you listen to. If protesters in many major cities burn police stations, loot and firebomb private businesses, and beat up innocent people on the streets, some politicians will defend them as mostly peaceful. But when protesters go to the U.S. Capitol and protest, they're insurrectionists, and they're doing more harm than 9-11, Pearl Harbor, or the Civil War. Now, they really aren't that crazy to believe that. They just think that the protesters they support are better than those they don't. If Hillary, Joe Biden, Stacey Abrams, and others can question the integrity of an election and claim that it was rigged, but somehow Donald Trump is permanently banned from Twitter and Facebook for saying the same thing, it's just another example of the arrogant pride that some folks think their armpits don't stink. <laughs> but they think yours do. Honestly, I think everybody's does, okay? Well, like racism, it's a symptom of deadly and dangerous pride. It's not political. It's a spiritual sickness. But we will never correct it if we misdiagnose it and fail to see it for what it really is, selfish arrogance of pride that's willing to put a different standard on you than on themselves because they really do believe they are better than you. In New York City, the crime rate has been rising for years, and the quality of life in the average New Yorker is plummeting. It seems like that the politicians who have been voted in the last several years just won't let down their pride, instead insisting to continue instituting failing and harmful policies. Well, after the break, we've got a former New York City mayor whose policies made his city the safest that they had been in decades. And we're going to talk to him about what's going on there now and a whole lot more. Don't go away. Rudy Giuliani is right here next. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow And welcome back. Our first guest tonight was New York City Mayor from 1994 to 2001. He turned what was America's most dangerous city at the time into the safest city. Now in 2022, crime is again spiraling out of control there all over again. And there's a new mayor, Eric Adams. He's taken the reins. Well, should he follow the Giuliani plan to get things back on track? A lot of people there probably wish he would. Please welcome back to the show. He is always going to be America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani.
you get a standing ovation walking in here. You know, that's pretty good, Rudy. Thank you. <laughs> I told you these folks love you. People across the country appreciate what you did for New York because a lot of people quit going to New York, just wouldn't go. You became mayor and you turned it around and it became truly a wonderful, welcoming, hospitable and safe place to be. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. I, I, it was a labor of love and it had been building up for me for 20 or 30 years of watching the city I was born in, went to school in, just kind of disappear. Yeah. Disappear. People worried about getting killed. I mean, we had, a, we had seven murders on one day. Oh. And it hardly made the press. And Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan wrote something that became uh, kind of almost a motto. He said, we're defining deviancy down. Mm. When seven people died in Chicago on Valentine's Day, it became the St. Valentine's Day massacre, and we built the FBI. Now seven people die in New York, and it's, oh, hmm. it, seven more people dead. Who cares? It, it is tragic. A lot of people don't know that you were in the Reagan White House, uh, Justice Department, and then you became the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. Correct. Without argument, the most prominent U.S. Attorney's office in the nation, always has been, still is. Um, you took on the mafia when people said, they're going to kill you if you do that. <laughs> but you took them on and you put a bunch of them in prison. Is that where you kind of steeled up the courage to say, I'm going to take on New York City as well? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once you take on the mafia, no, no, no. You, what, you, what can you, you not you, take on? I, I said yes, because I'm often asked the question, how did you run for mayor? And I, I have a big, long answer. But the truth is, and you, and you know this, when you take on something big that seems bigger than you, the first thing I think you do is you go back to, have, have I ever done anything like this before? Yeah. And if you haven't, you'll still do it maybe, but you feel nervous. The minute I started thinking of running for mayor, most of my friends who were political would say very encouraging things like, you can't win. <laughs> <laughs> or, or there have only been two Republican mayors in 100 years. Yeah. Or how about this one? Lincoln lost New York twice. <laughs> and, Boy, you know, an and, and you know the line after that is, and you're not Lincoln. <laughs> so, Great friends. Like. <laughs> so I would think back. There used to be articles when I first started the mafia thing, you know, making fun of me. Uh, the kid just wants publicity and uh, he's not going to go anywhere and he'll go the way of all these other people. And I always uh, was convinced that I could do it because I understood the RICO law probably better than anyone because I was there when it was written. Mm. So that helped me, yeah. It helped me that I had in the past succeeded in doing something people didn't think could be done. You did some things that were not so much political. They were very pragmatic. You said we're not going to overlook uh, the kind of what some people would call little crimes. Yes, yes, the squeegee yes. guys out there hustling people and shaking them down and people jumping the turnstiles at the subway and breaking windows. What was it about your philosophy that, and why didn't other people do the same thing? Well, you know, this was borrowed. I borrowed that. I have to give credit to Professor James Q. Wilson. And when I was with Ronald Reagan, we had a big violent crime problem then, which yeah. you and I will remember 
some of them may, may not, in the 70s and 80s. And uh, pr President Reagan asked Attorney General Smith, can you get me a really good report? Not one of these stupid 10-year Washington, yeah. but a really good report. What can I do as president right now to help with violent crime? And then how can I really help the cities of the states? Not just give away a lot of money, practical stuff. Yeah. We put together a task force. And the task force was chaired by James Q. Wilson and Governor James Thompson, who was the governor of Illinois and a yeah. very, very famous prosecutor. And James Q. Wilson became my mentor. And he had developed a theory called the broken windows theory. And the theory was, if you let the little things go, the big things get worse. So if you let, if you let kids just put uh, uh, drawings on things that were starting then, uh, it's kind of cute. But they are defiling somebody else's property. Yeah. And they should be told, you can't do that without knocking on the door and saying, Mr. Jones, and he said, and, and if you let them get away with not paying on the subway, they're going to start not paying for anything. You got to stop it right. You got to nip it in the bud. That was his, That's it, a Barney Fife yeah, move yeah. right there. Nip it in nip the, the bud. Nip it in the, the bud. bud. So the city turned around and it became a place where tourists would go back to. And something I know, there were people in areas that had been really hit hard by crime, places like uh, Harlem. Yes. You were popular there because those folks lived in the safest time of their lives in what had been crime-ridden areas of New York. Yeah, nobody ever, uh, uh, the liberal press never wanted to show that, but I knew it. And I knew it because someone, I don't remember who it was, recommended that in the city housing developments, we have 700,000 plus people that live in federally funded housing developments. It's a terrible mistake. It, it, it affected Chicago even more. They built all the developments and then they put all these people, hundred, you know, three, four hundred people in one building, all of whom have monumental problems. Should have been spread out, yeah. whatever. So these things became crime centers. All of a sudden, pe some people there wanted cameras for their uh, elevators and for the stairways. The ACLU got involved. And then the Black Civil Rights Organization, they said, the mayor wants to spy on them. The mayor wants to, uh, is treating them like he's a plantation owner. He wants to see what his slaves are doing. You know how I got it through? We went in and we took a vote. 85% of the residents said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> Thank you you're for holding off mind. on that one, Eric. <laughs> you're out of your mind. And they made the point, I hadn't even thought yeah. of this. They made the point in every rich condominium in the city, they got cameras all over the place. Of course they do. Why can't we have them? We put it in, Brad and I put it in, it went down 80% in five weeks. Wow. Crime went down 80%. Yeah, but nobody's going to commit a, even these guys aren't dopey. They don't commit a crime on TV. No. Go somewhere else and commit the crime. Famous thing happened to you this week. I know we can't divulge a lot of it, but apparently you were a participant, and it'll be on in March, The Mask Singer. And when they, you were revealed, a couple of the judges didn't like that, and they got up and walked off. Was that just like surreal that they were so? Well, I'm not offended? allowed. I'm not allowed to comment on it because there's an NDA. Ah, okay. Uh, but you, when it does happen, I'll be happy to come right back and tell you the whole. <laughs> love it. I know you love it. The whole. I will thing definitely. Is well, you know what that does. And that you know, guarantees you're going to come back. You've I think. I think. I think you've talked to my partner, Dr. Maria Ryan. 
we do, we do, uh, we do a show together on ABC Radio uh, called Uncovering the Truth every Sunday between uh -huh. 10 and 11. It's the highest rated show on talk radio on Sunday. And Dr. Ryan is a PhD. She ran a hospital. She's got four degrees. She's close to genius level. This almost resulted in a fist fight. Whoa. My money was on Dr. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet it was. Well, that'll be a good reason to bring oh, you gonna back. You're going to love this. You're gonna One love of the it. things I got to tell you, I love getting chance to visit with you. You have more wonderful experiences. But you know what? I think the reason this crowd reacted like they did, you were one of the most respected people for not what you said, but what you did and what you got done in one of the toughest cities. And people hold it on. Well, you had the guts to do it, and it's always something that I will never, ever forget. Promise you're going to come back. Well, you've got to promise me something. Okay. You're going to come on my podcast so okay. I can say all the wonderful things I want to say about you. Uh -huh. And I'm going to tell them the one story I said all the time, but there are many, many others, and that is, and you'll remember this, at some point during the time we were running, yes. uh, I came up to you and I said, you better not drop out. And you started laughing at me like, why was it? What, what, there's some joke coming up. And I said, because if you do, they will catch me sleeping. <laughs> because you're the only one that keeps me awake. <laughs> All these, there were a lot of nice guys that ran, yeah. wonderful guys. No sense of humor. It's true. I yeah. think he should have been a stand-up comedian person. Well, I may have been better at that than I was running for president, that's for sure. Oh, hey, if you want to keep up with Mayor Rudy Giuliani, go to Huckabee.tv. We have links to his website, his social media platforms, radio show, all of that. So you'll well, want you. to be thank connected. Thank you for doing that. Absolutely. I, I, I Please it. get connected. Now, Keith Bilbrey is running a pretty tight ship around here. He is going to tell us what we got coming up after the break. Well, next, funny news stories in case you missed it. Later, the amazing acrobatics of positive impact movement. More Huckabee is on the way. And we come back with music from the Blues Brothers. Everybody needs somebody. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I think the only people that I know who get as warm a reception as we just saw with Rudy Giuliani would be Trey Corley and the Music City Connection because they yeah. deserve our love. What a great band. Wasn't Rudy a hoot? I mean, he's just such a wonderful guy with such great stories. I think you two need stories. to go on the road as a duet act. Oh, there's some people that would like for us to be on the road but never come back, so we don't <laughs> want to do that. Well, from a do-nothing man to a spend-nothing wife, folks, we got all the news that's slightly better than nothing on In Case You Missed It. Our first story tonight is about a Japanese man named Shoji. Morimoto. I worked on that one. Yeah. Soji Morimoto, who said his family always accused him of being a do-nothing, so he turned it into a career. I think this is pretty fascinating. Yeah. He is known as the do-nothing rent-a-man. Now, here's what he does. He charges people 
to come and stand around and do nothing. Hmm. I think it's got to be a government job, no it doubt about be. it. Yeah. One of those guys out on the highway. Yeah, know. that's right, you know. Um, this human pet rock has stood in freezing cold <laughs> to be the audience for a street musician. He has been paid to share a birthday cake with a lonely person, and he accompanied shy people on shopping trips. But Keith, don't expect conversation because that's too much like work. Yeah. He will reply briefly to small talk, but mostly he just stands around doing nothing. So, kind of like Trey Corley. Kind of like Trey Corley, yeah. <laughs> I think I could work there. And uh, I mean, you could take him uh, to a dinner party and claim that he's your husband. And if you ask him to do anything, he'll just tell you that he doesn't do anything, right? Yeah, yeah just like a lot of husbands in this audience tonight, I'm sure, <laughs> if we ask their, the wives. Anyway, he's very busy doing nothing because he's book solid. This is what's amazing. I think he needs to save up if he wants to retire. It's really not so strange. I mean, think about it. Here in Congress, or here in America, we've got hundreds of people, and they make six-figure incomes for doing nothing. Doing nothing. They're called members of Congress. That's Great what they work are. If you yeah. can get it. Huh. <laughs> Almost stepped on my punchline on that one, didn't I? <laughs> I was wondering where you were yeah. going with that. Yeah, I was too. Obviously, I wasn't sure. <laughs> well, police in Cape Coral, Florida, answered a disturbance call to the local Waffle House where a customer reported having a meltdown because his bacon wasn't cooked the way he likes it. Oh, I know. He was so upset, he reportedly cursed at the staff, shouted racial slurs, and had to be tasered. Now, in his defense, his bacon wasn't cooked the way he liked it. But here's the problem with that. He's now facing charges of assault, resisting arrest, and, big surprise, disorderly intoxication. Uh -huh. Alcohol could have been involved. Could have been involved in that. Yep, if found guilty, he's going to be scattered, smothered, and covered. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of embarrassing Woo. dining companions, there is a man's Reddit post that went viral after he complained that his wife went on a thrift kick and became so cheap, so cheap, that she brings her own meals to restaurants, pulls them out of her purse, and then asks the staff of the restaurant to microwave them for her. Oh, no. Wow. Well, I tell you, the good thing is her bacon is at least cooked the way she likes That's it. Right. That way. I think her bacon's a little overcooked. I think her bacon is, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, he says he's embarrassed. You think? Yeah. 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 Now, other husbands say he's the luckiest man in the world. In his wife's defense, she does leave a tip of 20% of the price of her glass of water. <laughs> and the staff, hey, they don't have to clear the table because she takes all the utensils when she leaves. Yeah. All right, laugh all you want, but after three more years of Joe Biden, we're all going to be doing this, okay? <laughs> so. Finally, that's the favorite word of this audience when I say, finally, how'd you like to live in a dream house made famous in a hip movie? Well, the bad news, the movie is the 1984 slasher flick, A Nightmare on Elm Street. No, yeah. no I don't even want to go in. Now, the house was where the main character, Nancy, lived when Freddy Krueger invaded her dreams. This house recently sold in L.A. for $2.8 million which was a bargain because it was listed for three and a half million dollars.
but they had to slash the price. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Did you hear that? Slash the slash price. Slash the yeah, price. I heard it. The movie makers only use the exterior if that should help the buyer sleep any better. So that way the buyer doesn't have to worry about Freddy Krueger. But the real nightmare comes when you realize you're now a tax-paying homeowner in California. <laughs> so I guess I'm going to end your nightmare by cutting this bit a little short. But, hey, until next time, always remember, we read the news. Well, after the break, the triumphant story of author Michael Phillips. Later, country music singer Deborah Allen is right here on Huckabee. All right, Samaritan's Purse is going the distance in Jesus' name for the hurt and needy all over the world. And it's all because of God's grace through the generosity of His church that they're able to do so. The world is waiting for you to obey the call of God. I hope that you will visit the Samaritan's Purse website, or you can call them. Do it today. Give what God has put on your heart. Thank you, and God bless you for doing it. Well, the weather has been a little gloomy lately around here, so we thought it might be a good time to take a trip to Florida for a little sunshine. And let me tell you, we found a great little town with a name that you're going to just have your mouth watering for, especially for the good barbecue on our kind of town. On the southernmost tip of St. Pete Beach, you'll find the oldest, most storied beach town on Florida's Gulf Coast. And that's the town of Casa Grill. First visited by the Spanish explorers and pirates dating back to the 1500s, Casa Grill got its unusual name for the grillers who would stop on the beach here to smoke the day's catch and preserve it for their long voyages. And then you thought everyone was sharing the same grill. No, Casa Grill is a quaint, laid-back beach town full of old Florida charm. Once you're here, just park your car. Everything is at walking distance. The beach, the boutiques, ice cream shops, outdoor markets, restaurants, and the fishing pier. Explore the Gulf Beach Historical Museum, and then browse quirky 8th Avenue with its eccentric shops. Like collecting seashells? Then hitch a boat ride from the century-old Mary Pier to beautiful Shell Key, a beautiful untouched example of Florida's sunny charm. And don't miss the Sunset Dolphin Watch Cruise. Passa Grill has earned their title as the sunset capital of Florida. Go, and you'll see for yourself why. And make sure you ring the sunset bell while you're here. It's a decades-long tradition. Passa Grill has a variety of great places to stay, like the historical 1928 Don Cesar Hotel, better known as the Don. Now, if you're looking for something a bit more laid back, Take a refreshing dip into the past and stay at the heart of Paso Grill's historic district. Filled with gorgeous cedar cottages, cozy inns, shops, and colorful gardens. With a wonderful selection of great places to eat, you can enjoy some of the best seafood in Florida, like the Brass Monkey's famous jumbo lump crab cakes, red beach cruisers and bike all over town, fish from the piers, or just soak in the sun on the sugar white beach. Do whatever, whenever. No schedules needed when you're in paradise. And that's why Paso Grill, Florida is our kind of town. 
it looks like a very fun place to be. Our thanks to St. Pete Clearwater, the Gulf Beaches Historical Museum, and of course, the town of Paso Grill, Florida, for letting us check out their great town. Go to visitpasagrill.com. That way you can plan your own visit. And I'm pretty sure after hearing Keith describe it, you're going to love it, no doubt about it. Well, when Michael Phillips was a young man, a judge gave him a pretty stark choice. Turn his life around or face 30 years in prison. Today, he's a pastor and speaker. He's a top officer in the T.D. Jakes Foundation and is the author of this incredibly inspiring book of his story. It's called Wrong Lanes Have Right Turns. Please welcome Michael Phillips. Michael, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. You, your youth was on a pretty good path. Your father was a pastor. Yes. But when you were 12, he died unexpectedly. Yeah. My father had a stroke and a heart attack and died suddenly. And that sent the lightning bolt uh, through my family and certainly through my life. And that was a big part from the book, it appears, that kind of puts you on a totally different path. And, and there was bitterness and anger at God for taking your father? Absolutely. You know, we all want to figure out what we do with our pain. Where do we place that? And I did not know how to process the pain of losing my father. And unfortunately, um, the church had no answer for that mm -hmm. at that time. And so I was told the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, right? Wow. And what, what that did to me was it put my anger towards God yeah. and really to the rest of the world uh, because my hero was gone. My motto of success was gone. My motto of manhood was gone. And I had no reference point from there. You also saw something that is just horrific. When I read it in the book, you saw a, a, a kid, and he was 20 years old, but a few years older than you, and he had kind of recruited you to do some little errands for him. Yeah. You were standing just a little bit away from him. Mm -hmm. and somebody drove up and shot him dead right in front of you. Yeah. That had to have had a huge impact. Uh, when trauma goes unacknowledged, tragedy often goes uninterrupted. Mm. Whoa, and that's a great statement. Here I am at, you know, 12, mm. um, seeing that level of trauma, and it impacted me deeply uh, to, to the point where I was not safe in my world and I didn't know how to orient myself in it. I always felt unsafe, yeah. You um, ended up getting in some pretty bad trouble standing before a judge. So what happened and, and how did it come that the judge looked at you and said, okay, kiddo, you got a choice, here it is. So uh, I actually was able to get my life back on track through sports uh, and wind up getting a scholarship to go to college. And uh, unfortunately, I never got the opportunity to do anything with that ability. I was in a horrific car accident my freshman year before the first semester. Uh. Uh, the gentleman that was driving the car fell asleep behind the wheel. My lower torso was caught underneath the dash of the car. My upper torso went through the windshield. So half oh. of my body is in the car. The other half is outside of the car. When I woke up, I was in the hospital uh, being rushed into surgery. They told me I would never walk again and certainly never play sports again. That sent me into a spiraling depression because my identity was tied to my athletic ability. Yeah. And that was going to be my passport to the world. Mm. Uh, and since I lost that, then who was I? Mm. And when I went back home after losing my scholarship, 
I got involved back with old friends who were selling drugs, and I decided to join them. Uh, there is no 401k plan for <laughs> criminals or drug dealers. Yeah. And therefore, <laughs> you're going to get caught at some point. And I did. And I uh, actually decided uh, when we did get caught to turn myself in, which is why that's the title of the book. Mm. I was uh, fleeing down to Florida. I was in my car. I had made it as far as uh, Virginia. And I was in the wrong lane, but I needed to make a right turn. And I was able to make the right turn by choosing to turn myself in. Wow. And so I was facing 30 years um, to life uh, for my crimes. And after six months of pretrial detention, uh, on a Sunday of all days, hmm. if you have any dealing with the criminal justice system, you know that doesn't happen. It does not happen. <laughs> no, it does uh, not. On a Sunday of all days, they came to get me out of my, my cell, which was a 23-7 isolated cell. Uh, and they put me in the van and they shipped me down to the federal uh, building to a judge's quarters. And the first thing I noticed about the judge's quarters is that he had no name on his desk. I thought that was odd. Hmm. Uh, and he also had a sign uh, or a picture of the Vitruvian man, Da Vinci's Vitruvian man over his desk. And they sat me down in front of the no name desk and that picture. And then the judge walks in. He sits down in front of me and he says, son, you have an opportunity in front of you. You can either go to jail or you can go to college. Hmm. And I said, let me think about that for a second. Let me <laughs> I said, I think I'll, I'll choose college. We're sending a whole lot of people to prison and locking them up. It's incredibly expensive. I used to say when I was governor, it costs more money to put a person in prison for yes. one year yes. than it does to send them to college, pay full tuition, room and board, their meals, buy their books and give them spending money. And that is the case in all 50 states. Yes, yes. And our prison director, a guy named Larry Norris, who was just wonderful to work with, he used to say, we are locking up people that we're mad at rather than the ones we are afraid of. Wow. And you talk about that very kind of thing. And it's one of the reasons, it's such a powerful story, Michael. I, I really, I'm grateful. God has spared you. Yes. You're now working with uh, T.D. Jakes, one yes. of the greatest spiritual leaders in our country. Yes. And I just marvel at your story. And it's the story I hope that we can see a lot more young men experiencing. And that's why I really do hope people will get the book. It's called Wrong Lanes Have Right Turns. Yes. Michael Phillips, fantastic book. And you can learn more about Michael through his social media sites. If you go to Huckabee.tv, we have links to the book, to his ministry, Please check this out because most every family has someone who is facing something like that. Well, Keith Bilbrey is also a guy who's never steered us wrong. He's going to tell us what we have coming up next. Well, next, Acrobats with a Purpose. It's Positive Impact Movement. Plus, country music star Deborah Allen. Stay with Huckabee. Welcome back. Now, for acrobats, a serious injury, well, can mean the end of a career.
But for our next guest, their injuries were actually the start of an amazing career. They wanted to show you that you can recover from almost any setback. So they created an act that just wowed the judges on America's Got Talent. And now they're here to wow us. Please welcome Positive Impact Movement. So you guys are going to do some pretty wild stuff tonight, right? You can say that. Yes, we're definitely going to wow you. I bet you will. <laughs> now, when you talk about that you had injuries that kind of gave you a new lease on life, what happened? Yeah, we've all had uh, what we'd call career-ending injuries. The doctor told us that you should definitely not be doing what you're doing ever again. Like, I had a knee injury. They said I definitely would never be able to play sports again. A back injury. Another knee injury. He broke his neck. Oh. Yeah. And so, and it's pretty crazy. I'm going to be standing on his head soon. Oh. Don't give yeah. it away. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure your doctors are saying, oh, that's just yeah. brilliant, guys. Yeah. This is terrific. Yeah. But Obviously, you went and got some new doctors, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. It's not just the, it's not saying no to doctors, but it's just believing that the power within us, we can do anything if we just continue to have that mindset that we can overcome any obstacle. A doctor has his professional opinion, but that doesn't mean that we can't change and come back and then let the doctor come back and say, oh my gosh, I never thought you'd be able where you are today. And that's exactly what every doctor said. So What, what a great reminder to the rest of us mere mortals <laughs> that uh, there are setbacks in life, but it doesn't mean that we should just roll over and play dead and say, that's it. So I guess you guys are going to do some stuff for us, aren't you? Absolutely. A doctor's opinion is just an opinion. It's not a sentence. That's a great <laughs> line. I like that. I'm going to get out of your way because you might make me do something that would injure me, and I don't want to do that. So <laughs> knock yourselves out, guys. Not literally, uh, but... Let's not do that. <laughs> All right.
we need to add one more person to this act. Who should it be? Oh! Mr. Huckabee, would you be so kind, sir? If, if, let me put it this way. If you split me out like that, <laughs> I will be singing soprano for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh, okay. We can all agree that Mr. Huckabee here has done so much positive things for all of us, everyone in our lives. And now I feel like we should give, sorry, give my We should really show him some thanks and get him up in the air. Y'all agree? Terry, <laughs> uh, this is gonna be good. This is gonna be good. I well, love well, it. You do understand that if he falls, we're out of a job, so. Oh. Okay, yeah, I'm all, thinking in a different direction. Though. I still think that uh, Miss Janet is the but one. Still that do whatever does. they tell you to do. In the words of Paula Dean. Dump, dump. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. You're not gonna flip me or anything like that, I hope, right? Let's lift yeah. them up, ready? Everyone We're here, under. To, here oh. to lift people up. Tension. Oh. Up. Whoa! <laughs> After the break, country music star Deborah Allen sits down with Mike. On Huckabee. Well, I, for one, am just glad to be back down on the ground. Can I tell you that <laughs> after uh, the amazing experience with the positive? impact. That was fun. Uh, but next time, Keith will be doing it. <laughs> Let me tell you about our next segment. Deborah Allen is a country music singer who in 1983 became a household name when her big hit song, Baby I Lied, went to the top of both the country and the pop music charts. Deborah's also a very gifted songwriter. She has penned over 2,000 published songs. Did you get that? 2,000. Songs for Brooks and Dunn, Conway Twitty, and Fleetwood Mac. Her new record is called The Art of Dreaming, and it's being released March the 18th. We're going to get a little sneak preview of it here before it's even released. Would you please welcome back to the show somebody we love, Deborah Allen. Deborah, Thank good to have you back. Thank you, Wow. When I think about your career, I mean, you have covered the spectrum. Roy Orbison was one of the first people who took note of you. Yes. That was a funny little story. I was about 18 years old at that time. I, um, I had actually worked at the IHOP for a while, but I no longer worked there. But uh -huh. I, could, I could go eat there and not feel like the lonely girl because I knew everybody. <laughs> and one day I was looking over there and I said, I know those guys are in the music business. They've just got to be. So I don't know why I did this, but I, I walk over to them and, and I go, <clears throat> excuse me, but um, are y'all in... The insurance business? They say, no, darling, we're in the music business. It was Roy Orbison and Joe Melson. And I, I slid in, wow. I go, that's what I thought. Listen, I'm, I'm trying to get started. I'm a singer. I mean, it was like, I mean, I You and 10,000 other people know, in Nashville at the IHOP, I know, right? they were so, so sweet to me. Okay, so then um, I sat there and talked to them. And, you know, I didn't know if I'd ever see them again. But I went back to my apartment. And then I went down to AFTRA. 
and I was um, telling them I've had a phone now. Uh-huh. And they said, we are so glad you came in here. Look who's been looking for you. And I said, who? They said, they said Roy Orbison and Joe Melson, they want you to sing on two of his tracks. I said, you're kidding me. So they weren't. That like, kind of thing just doesn't happen. But it did for you. It did. It was a, just amazing. You know, I, I just gravitated. I gravitate to musicians and and I guess that's why I love you so much, because not only are you a great statesman and just done so much, but you've got that musician's heart. Well, we're going to have you back on the show every week for the next 52 <laughs> weeks. You've Y'all said all that. the right things. You know, I'm, I'm excited. This is a new project for you. The first time you've done something, a full album in yes. like a 10-year period. It, so. it is. Well, you know, last time that I was here with you, I think we talked about, I was getting ready to do a series of 12 yeah. EPs. Uh-huh. I got only two EPs out before uh, my great friend Chuck Rhodes, who I had been on Giant Records in the past, and Chuck, such a great uh, promoter. We promoted records all over the country together, but he was with a brand new label called, well, they're not really brand new, they've been around, but it's Audium Nashville BFD, and he goes, man, we love these EPs, but why are you doing that? Let us help you. And I went, yeah. (laughs) So it worked out really good. Well, a lot of your fans are going to be very excited. These are all new songs that you're putting together. One of them is a single that you're going to uh, do for us tonight. And I think it's about time that we bring Deborah Allen to the singing stage. So in a moment, Deborah Allen is going to sing her latest hit called Blue Collar Baby. It is a rocker. I love it. But first, Keith Bilbrey has to tell you how that you can get Deborah's great music, which you will most certainly want to do. Deborah Allen's The Art of Dreaming releases on March 18th. Pre-order your copy today by going to Huckabee.tv and follow the links. Now, while you're there, make sure you watch a digital exclusive performance of Deborah's Last Time for Everything. Now, here to sing with Trey Corley in the Music City Connection, plus Mike on bass, is Deborah Allen. And I hold on tight Yeah, we drop all night We drop another dollar 